0: hey yo. welcome everyone to episode two of today in the scene i'm joe with Indie arcade and this is my co-host dylan from galactic battleground hey what's up shout out to our sponsors can arcade everything arcade music and cannabis this week we have the pleasure of speaking with tony hauber creator of Deathball. thanks for joining joining us tony
1: what's up everyone
0: all right tony so I want to jump into this and just kind of get to know you. Um, We've met you a bunch of times at conventions and everything, but we want our viewers to kind of know who you are, uh, what you do, where you came from, and what really drove you into creating indie arcade
1: games. Yeah, sure. Let's, Let's chat about it. So I really got into arcade video games while playing Killer Queen. Uh, which if you're unfamiliar with it, is a 5v5 arcade experience. It's kind of uh, 10 players at two arcade machines competing in a kind of arena battle style game. Uh, and I played that almost probably I'd say twice a week on average at an arcade. Uh, and every day, every every time we go in there, I would get this thought like, could I do this? Could I build an arcade game that could bring these kind of people together? And I Slowly started to learn uh, game development, and uh, uh, that kind of took me around a winding path, but eventually brought me uh, back to making arcade games.
0: Awesome! So, where are you based out of, Tony?
1: We're living here in small town El. It's called cater Iowa. It's a twelve hundred uh, people rural community in Northeast
0: Iowa. Awesome. So it's it's interesting to me to see how all these different indie developers are kind of going about um, making their game and building their game. I see a lot of people that are like one-man teams. Well, I mean, I guess primarily you that's a one-man team. Um, and everybody else has a few people kind of doing different things. How do you do everything? I think that's really interesting that you do that.
1: Well, I think the... The important thing to notice, I have done every part of it, but I don't do every part of it now. We so I, I have a partner now that helps me build cabs. Um, they're a sign, a signs and frames shop here in Elcator, Iowa, and I started uh, working with them and building cabs inside their shop, and have slowly been training their guys on how to do these things, and then now I pay them to do them, and that gets me out of the shop so I can do more game development, but. Uh, it wasn't, certainly wasn't easy from the start. I built the first cab by myself in my dad's garage. Uh, and when I started, I had no idea how to build a cab. I think I was watching YouTube videos and then those YouTube videos led me to, oh, how to, how do you 3d design something? And those YouTube videos led me to, how do you do sound wiring and those YouTube, you know, I, I think honestly, the lesson here is I gave myself multiple degrees via youtube to
2: <laughs> the youtube dots are so useful yeah um so death ball as a whole like how did you come up with the idea where is the inspiration for it um art style the whole the whole shebang
1: yeah so let's start with death ball as a whole um When I got interested in making video games, I decided I I was playing basically Killer Queen and Rocket League a lot. And I decided that I wanted to make an arcade game and I kind of envisioned this like marine style soccer game where like Halo meets soccer and I called it Death Ball. Yeah. Uh, And... I took it. I it, it started out as top down. It eventually became platform. I took it to the bar a couple of times. Nobody liked it. I kind of shelved it. Okay, I didn't. There was kind of buggy. I didn't really know how to build a game yet. I didn't know what game feel was or anything like that. So I kind of put that game away and I built other games for game jams and I started building some VR stuff. Uh, and then the weird thing is, I actually intended to start building VR games and I was entirely set on that kind of moved past arcade my wife and I were moving back to Iowa from San Francisco which is where I played Killer Queen and got into the whole arcade scene and we had to move all of our stuff so it had to be in a truck for two weeks and so all my VR stuff was in there all I had was my laptop and I didn't want to quit working because I wanted to keep leveling up my game design. This is what I was going to spend. I was moving into full-time game design as a career. So I needed to keep up in my skills. So I was like, in this two weeks, what if I just built this original game idea from the ground up, kind of with all this new learning that I had. And that's uh, what became Death Ball. And Death Ball was never intended to be the name. It was just a, a work in progress name. But people became so attached to it that at some point, the project couldn't. The name had to become the name.
2: Gotcha. That's really cool. Yeah. I had no idea that you spent that much time two weeks and not being able to program on VR. I think that's really cool.
1: Yep. And so uh, the funny thing was the whole reason I didn't we didn't just move to Iowa right when our stuff left is because there was a Killer Queen tournament two weeks after our move date that we wanted. Actually, sorry, it was. A week after our move date, uh, a week after we had to leave our apartment, uh, but yes. two weeks after our move date, uh, and was that so,
0: Bumble Bash Two in Minneapolis?
1: Nope, that was uh, it. Was the San Francisco one? It's called the Get Drunk Clash Two or the GDC Two, okay, uh, which happens around the big GDC event. And so I was just working on this for fun and waiting for this tournament to happen because I, that community was such a huge part of my life. I really want to stick around the extra week to see them off in this like big, huge, fun fashion. And I took death ball there on a laptop with two Xbox controllers. And I've taken a lot of games to that bar, but the, this, when I took it this time the for the first time ever, this weird thing happened. I would took it there, I showed it to somebody and we got done playing and he goes, can we play again? And it's kind of like, if you've ever tried to get people to play your prototypes, you'll know that like getting them to play a second game is really hard because your prototype very is very like difficult. Yeah. Um, and so like when they, and, and then a line started forming and like at one point uh, the bar owner and the bar manager, they ended up playing for like 30 minutes straight and he came to me and he goes, if you put this into a cab, I will put it in a bar. And that was such a eureka moment for me. I had never intended to, build, I had talked to him about building arcade cabs, but I had never intended this to be one of them. I was just building this for fun in this like one week period where I had no nothing else to work on. And then he was like, yeah, if you put this into a cab, we'll we'll put it in the bar. And so... It took, me, it took me a little over six months to actually build the first cab and figure out – I thought it was going to take two weeks, but there was a lot of learning between there and building an arcade cabinet. Um, yeah. Which is, if there's anything that I've really come to have a lesson in here, it's that you always forget how much learning it will take to do something. Like you, you have an idea of the amount of hours it might take to do it, but you have to like learn so much about it, and that can take a tremendous amount of time.
0: Yeah, that learning curve is, it's always something you really got to work at. Um, One thing that I hear from a lot of indie developers, I know there are a lot of guys out there making indie games that go straight to Steam and everything. And the arcade scene is definitely resurging. Um, This whole epidemic has kind of put a small halter on that, but I'm sure it'll come back once everything's all right. what kind of advice would you give to new indie developers that, one, are looking to move to the arcade scene, but also that have to build that community around it to actually get it into bars?
1: Um, number one is playtest. It's it's not great advice during this pandemic because it's diffi- more difficult than ever to playtest, but you got to playtest your game, and you got to playtest it with arcade people because they're the ones that are going to stand up to your game. Um, and, and I was really fortunate that I got to use the killer queen scene to play test my games because they're all very avid, very functional arcade players. Um, another thing I never really intended to happen is after that, that GDC event, I was just going to go build the cab and take it there and then figure everything out from there. But I got a call like two weeks later asking if I could bring it to a killer queen tournament just some kind of setup because people were really enjoyed it at the other one. And, and then I got another call from another killer queen. And then that's really when the game started to evolve into what it is now. I, I mean, it in the beginning, it would, I have some of the old builds and it was just such a simple, like game of lift and bubble at the time. And now it's got, you know, all the slides and all the maps and all the effects and and all these things and the polish and, uh, it's really in that period that it developed very strict mechanical sense based on all this feedback I was getting from very avid arcade fans.
2: Where was the um, the inspiration of the art? I mean, I know you did all that yourself. Is there any yeah. like game in particular that you really liked the style or?
1: Yeah, that's a great uh, question. So, mechanically, the game is very. Inspired by Rocket League and Killer Queen, as I was just saying before, but art-wise and in game design-wise too, it uh, got its inspiration from this really awesome game called Downwell. Um, Downwell is a rogue, a rogue-like falling arcade game. And the whole idea is you just start, you're just standing. On the earth and there's a well and once you jump down into the well you just start falling and like there's ledges and stuff you can land on but the, the the interesting thing about the game is you're wearing gun boots so every time you shoot you shoot bullets downwards and it slows your fall so the whole game the whole game it's and it's all this two color uh game design so it's like black and white or like uh you can mix the match the color schemes but uh black and white is the classic one and The big game design stuff I really drew from that is everything in Downwell is intended to serve two purposes. Everything. Like like shooting not only hurts enemies below you, but it slows your trajectory. And I I really think that that creates really complex, interesting choices in games. And so when you think about, well... Jumping is not only how I raise my elevation in death ball, but it's also how I place another bubble. Like those things pairing together, movement and placement of your set piece, they create this challenging interplay of when when do I go for the bubble or when do I sacrifice my old bubble to get higher on the map? Um, Those kind of trade-offs, they're born out of forcing things to have too too, – mechanical objectives.
0: Right. I totally see that. I mean, that's, that's the idea with, um, having kind of a skill ceiling, uh, where it's just the more you play, the better you get. And you can really notice that with people that have been playing for a long time. I mean, a game mm-hmm. that I think of obviously other than killer queen, um, shout out to another indie game is going to be uh, switch and shoot where mm-hmm. every time you push the button, you either move left or right, but you also fire at the same time. So you, mm-hmm. you really have to build that skill. Um, I thought that was a really, really cool mechanic. Um, one it's thing a true that. One what was that?
1: It's a true one button.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's all you do. It's one button, but it yeah. controls the entire game and it's incredibly difficult. Like, yeah. I am not at all good at it, but it's and, a ton of fun.
1: And Death Ball is, meets the arcade genre one butt classification, which just means that you are a joystick and one button. Um, but yeah, switch and shoot is. No joystick, even just legitimately one button. And it's crazy because you must think how boring and how quickly that should get boring to press one button. It doesn't. Uh, but it just doesn't because it it functions as these two things. And the game design also uh, in that game goes on to implement that, you know, things have multi-features. They're like getting a, getting a power-up in that game Gives you more bullets, but progresses you closer to the finish of the right. map. So, like, I just think that game also it has a lot of really great design in it.
2: Oh, yeah. And the boss battle and, like, the yeah. little tentacles and stuff and the, the power-up mechanic. It's all in all just a great game and never gets old for some reason.
0: Yeah, thinking about all these other indie games has kind of got me on the track of uh, conventions. Now we've missed a lot of conventions this year, which is really unfortunate. I miss seeing all the people that are out at conventions. But what are some of the most memorable conventions that you've been to, and who have you met there?
1: Man, okay, so I think number one most memorable uh, conference has to be the first GDC that I went to, or sorry, the first. Midwest gaming classic that I went through. It's where I met that's, you guys.
0: That's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Uh,
1: it's where I met the Cosmotrons dudes. Uh, and it was switch just like... And shoot. And switch and shoot. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He was there too, uh, Dan. And it's just like... I remember we were so inspired by this idea that together we were all trying to like make this new arcade thing that was, to be fair the killer queen guys really came and and they blazed the trail for,
0: yeah, they kicked the door down for all people. of us.
1: And they really like opened up a trail for us, but like, it felt cool to be walking this trail with you guys and finding out that other people are trying to do this too. And uh, I would say then the next, my next favorite one was probably uh, the latest bumble bash in Chattanooga. It's I don't amazing. know. I just had such a tremendously fun amount of time at that. So
0: track. much fun
1: chattanooga is amazing the event space was very cool there were so many killer queen cabinets everywhere and everybody was just so tremendously nice and open and accepting and welcoming and and i got to meet the armed and gelatinous guys who turned out to be really cool guys too so you know right just we just talked
2: to them last week yeah shout out to rob and spooky yep yeah. so
1: yeah so uh those are probably my two favorites uh I didn't. I didn't mind last year's Midwest Gaming Classic either. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to meet uh, Brian and Chris there, who are. uh, Chris runs a bunch of arcades in. uh, Basically, out on the East Coast. Yeah, he's on the East Coast, like tri-state area, East Coast, uh, Pennsylvania, I think, and and around there. Uh, Yeah. West Virginia. And then he has a tech that he brought named Brian and Brian's a really cool guy too. And just honestly, like there is, I sell cabs at these things, but that almost rarely filters into whether it's a good con for me or not. it, It generally comes down to the networking. And so I think the ones that I've been able to network and make the longest relationships that are more pertinent to what I'm trying to do, those have stuck with me the most.
2: Okay. Um, so for people on there, how can we get a hold of you like what's your Instagram handle like where can we find you?
1: Instagram, I think everything is deathball arcade so instagram twitter facebook uh YouTube is not I think YouTube's still under my personal account, but yeah, hey, it's still right. under your name there's very little up on youtube I haven't really done any real big YouTube push um But if you want to find the website, if you want to order, it's deathball.cab, deathball.cab. And if you want to email me, you can reach out at tony at deathball.cab.
2: All right. Awesome. Um, So I have a question. Uh, What is the, if you could list, top five games you've ever played? Down to the mechanics. I know this is a hard question, but. Anything. This is broad. Anything
1: anything i I mean i i honestly well it's a tough tough question take your time it's a tough question because there are many factors here and you kind of you said one you know you you described things that as a game designer good games as like a nostalgia thing like just games that like really shaped me you know like that's yeah
0: let's let's go that route let's go the nostalgia route okay what games kind of inspired you as a gamer?
1: Uh, Goldeneye was a good okay.
0: part. 64.
1: Yep. Uh, 64. So, I think my favorite platform is probably SNES, but 64 is where like I really started to play a lot of video games. I think. Uh. I I, I mean I think that. Oh man, it's when 3D came in, like Star Fox and like Mario. Uh, 64 is it and, a uh, Super... Super Mario... Hmm. Nope, it wasn't Super Mario. It was Mario, Mario, 64. Mario 64. Mario 64 is just... It is one of those that is truly impactful to me as a person, uh, but also as a game designer. And there's a really great video about this, and it kind of alludes to what I was saying, like the multi-purpose thing from before. Uh, it's, it's about Mario's jump, and it's by this game design YouTube maker called Mark Brown, and he makes this point in it that I has stuck with me so much, and it's, if you take Mario, in Mario World, and you use the joystick, the Z button, and the A button, so four inputs on the joystick and two inputs on those two buttons, so a total of six inputs, there's like 22 different jumps you can make based on context and button combination. There is... The single jump, the double jump, the triple jump, the back flip, the long jump, the ground pound, the side jump, the, uh, I, I, I don't even know if I, I, I don't even know if i the running jump, the, there's like all these, things, right. the slide jump, all these different, there's
0: so many functionalities for yeah. one motion.
1: Yeah. And, and so all that talks about is uh, verb composition and how that's more interesting than like Dictative. Controls. And what I mean by that is. I like that Mario. What I'm trying to do is compose this very. This set of moves in a way that's really fun and interesting. Uh, And that's where the combos come from. As opposed to like a fighting game where the the moves are like recipes. And they come by just like putting the recipes next to each other. And there's absolutely composition there. That's important. But it's just like because the moves are so – these like little defined combos of button presses themselves.
0: They're so situational too.
1: Yeah. It's really – my main thing with Death Ball is I want it to be more like Super Mario in where you're composing moves based on a set of small movesets. So in Death Ball, there is the lift, the slide jump, and the bubble. And the hard bubble. And you essentially can compose them in any ways that you want because they compose really well together. Um, And, like, some people have, like, this thing they'll do where they'll slide under the ball and then they'll down bubble to kick the ball backwards. And that's, like, not a move I ever intended to make. It's just I made these mechanics that are really fun and simple to use and give you a clear sense of how they work in the world. And then people can compose these combos that are really impressive.
0: So it sounds like we're looking at GoldenEye and Mario 64. What are your other three?
1: Star Fox 64. Okay. I probably should move away from 64 now. Just to <laughs> give us some... It was you know, such a good you know, console, though. It had such a uh, game. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm actually, yeah, actually, I got I to gotta throw Ocarina in time, of Time in yep. there, too. Um,
0: yeah. Can't forget about a Zelda game.
1: Yeah. I mean, all the Zelda games, I can't, that's hard for me to even pick them. They're so they're just like they never let me down. Even two, which lets a lot of people down, I still had fun playing. <laughs> I don't think it lets people down either. I think it's just more a different. It's like a different genre of game, really. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, okay, I think we're up to like four now. That's I got four. Come, yeah, we got to come up with at least one more. I, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm. I'm trying to. I'm hesitating to name any novel or, or modern games, but Rocket League is important to me. I think, like, mechanically, it's really sound. I played it for probably, like, three years, like, at least two or three times a week. Uh, and I just, I never got sick of it. In fact, I had to stop playing simply because I couldn't level up anymore. I was just, like, plat, extremely plateaued, and I just, that's, it only got less fun because the competition made me not, like, have fun with it. I can still pick it up and, and love just messing around
0: with it so you kind of yeah. just hit your ceiling and that's that's where you're getting at
1: what's
0: that so you kind of hit your ceiling with your skill cap yeah. on it.
1: well it's. i mean without without putting more... a lot
0: more time and effort into it
1: yes but it is also that mixed with like something that has become fundamentally important to me it's that online play can be extremely toxic
0: yeah Oh, and totally.
1: the way that i've kind of run the whole thing is the way that i've kind of thought about death ball is when people are together, when they're face-to-face, it's really hard for people to be toxic to each other.
0: Right. There's way but more sportsmanship.
1: It can certainly happen. People get heated. They can get into fights. But <laughs> the things that I've been called on Rocket League by somebody on my team for being so bold as to try to do something hard and messing up, like they, nobody would ever say that to my face. Right. Um, yeah. It, and it's just – it's, it's – kind of just became really isolating to sit there and play over and over again and have teammates turn on you. Not because you're bad. I don't even think I was playing bad. I just made a mistake and they're tilted. You know, they're, they've lost three games in a row. And then my mistake was just the point of which they were unable to hold back their toxicity anymore. And it's just, I kind of got over that whole experience.
0: Well, that's what we're trying to do with bringing all these arcade games back. Is we want that face to face interaction and actually building a relationship with the people you're playing against. It's it's hard to have that toxic environment when you're right there with the people, and that's that's what I love about conventions.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I just like I have the same problem whenever I'm playing games too. Like the most toxic games play are FPSs. You just you get the keyboard warriors talking crap, a twelve year old that womps you just doesn't feel good whereas in like going to an arcade you can just have fun and don't care if you win or lose but still have that competitiveness yeah
0: completely different atmosphere well i'm gonna wrap this one up here uh tony can you give them those social medias again really quick
1: yep we're on facebook.com slash deathball arcade instagram.com slash deathball arcade twitter.com slash deathball arcade you can find us our website for ordering deathball.cab deathball.cab and you can uh, personally email me I'm always happy to chat with people uh, tony at deathball.cab
0: awesome thanks for coming on Tony yeah um, and this will be up pretty soon here so you guys can check it out go check out his social medias uh, follow us on Indie Arcade and we
2: will see you next week
1: yeah Adios. take care y'all see ya